Hey all of you, it's good to be with you, even if it's through video. So glad that uh, we could connect with you this morning. We are in the Easter season, of course, here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, and we have started a new sermon series for the Easter season that is titled, This is Our King. We've been, over the last year, talking a lot about the Kingdom of God. In this series, we're really focusing on the king behind the kingdom. We're, we're looking at what kind of king is King Jesus. And my hope is that for those of you who don't know Jesus yet, or who haven't decided to follow him, that you would see that he is a king truly worth following. And if you've made that decision to follow Jesus, my hope is that through this series you're going to be encouraged and you're going to be challenged to grow even more uh, into surrendered obedience to all that Jesus taught and, and commanded. So that, that is my prayer for us as we journey through this sermon series. Why don't you pray with me? And we are going to focus on how Jesus is a humble king. Last week we focused on how Jesus is a servant king. We're going to focus on Jesus' humility this morning. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can connect in this way. Thank you that you are still the king on the throne of the world, even though the world seems in such disarray. Lord, we are thankful that although it seems out of control, it isn't out of your control. That you are still good. That you are still wise and loving and all-powerful. And you are still working things together for the good of those who love you and for your glory. We, we praise you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how you are a humble king that is truly worth following. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at Mark 14 because we want to, so instead of looking at Jesus' entire life to see what he was like as a king, we're, we're really focusing on the days before his death and the days after his death. So we're really honing in to that time period. And so the scripture that we're going to be camped out in this morning is Mark 14, verses 32 through 36, and Mark 15, verses 1 through 5. So let me read those verses to you. If you got a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to these verses. Let me start with Mark 14, verses 32 through 36. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then we have Mark 15, 1 through 5. 
Mark 15, 1 through 5 says, Immediately in the morning the chief priests held a consolation with the elders and scribes in the whole council. And they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. So, I think there are often two camps of people uh, that have an idea in terms of why we have the problems in the world that we do. There is a camp of people that would say it's due to the pride that people have. That people think too highly of themselves. They think they're entitled to things. They think they're superior to other people. And therefore, they should get what they want. And they deserve what they want. And so they're willing to step on other people to get it. Um, so there's, there's, there's a camp of, of people that think that that's the problem. It's pride um, in people. There's, there's another camp, I would say, and I, I think this is the predominant kind of viewpoint today in our American culture. They say the issue and the reason why we have evil in the world is because people have low self-esteem. That they don't think of themselves very highly and so they do all sorts of things to try and make themselves feel better or they agree to things that aren't good because they see themselves as worthless and so what they need is they need to be told that they can be anything that they want to be. They need to be told that they are special and wonderful just the way they are. They need to be told that you know what, you just don't worry about what society is telling you you have to be. Set standards for yourself. Uh, decide for yourself what is good and go after that. Do you stay in your lane? That kind of a message. Um, the, the people that say that pride is the issue, they say, well, what needs to happen? The solution is these people that are full of pride need to be brought low, right? They, they need to be knocked off of their high horse. And so you have different thoughts as to why there are issues in our world. I wonder what camp you fall in. I wonder what you would say is the reason we have so many issues and there's so much evil rampant in our country and beyond. Um, Christianity says that uh, the, there, yes, there's both a problem with pride there's also a problem with low self-esteem, but it talks about those issues in more complex, robust ways. And it also gives an answer to those problems that is way more robust and thorough than what our world tends to give to people. And I, I want to talk about that because Christianity says that the problem the reason why there's so much evil in the world is due to a lack of humility. Um, and, and it gives a definition for humility. Christianity, if you look at the scriptures, it gives a definition of humility 
that is different than the way we define it and the way we talk about it. If you look in the dictionary, the dictionary will tell you it's to have a modest or low view of yourself, but you will see that the Bible defines humility way more differently than that. And actually, in the passages I read to you, Jesus, he shows us what true humility is, where we can get it, and what it leads to. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. So true humility, what is it? Where can we get it? And what does it lead to? So first, true humility, what is it? So here, we're in this passage of Mark 14, 32 through 36. And you have Jesus, he just got done eating the, the Passover meal with his disciples, washing his disciples' feet. Remember that from last week? And now after the meal, he, he wants to go and pray. And so he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with his disciples. Um, and as he prayerfully considers what is about to happen to him, his arrest, his trial, the torture he's going to experience, and then his crucifixion, it says that as he was going there and as he was praying, Jesus began, began to be troubled and deeply distressed. If you were to look at the Greek words that are translated troubled um, and deeply distressed, you would find that these words also mean struck with terror and, a, and great anguish. So Jesus, here he is, he's in the garden, and he is struck with terror over about what is going to happen to him. He is in such great anguish. Um, and that's why he uh, tells his closest companions, Peter, James, and John, he tells them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Jesus is saying that the emotions of fear and terror that he's experiencing are so intense that at that point it felt like he could die. That's how intense it was. And so what does Jesus do? He, he prays to the Father. He asks the Father, like, Lord, can you, Father, can you make this our pass. Can you take this cup from me? And so Jesus is saying like, look, if there's any way that we can accomplish what we need to accomplish another way, I am in, I, I'm all about that. If there's any way I do not have to do this, I'm game for that. He was in such deep anguish and, and, but what he desired, what Jesus desired even more than not having to go through with the horror that was in front of him, what he desired even more than that is he desired to do his Father's will. And that's why Jesus, he prays after asking the Father, like, hey, can this pass from me? Nevertheless, not what I will but what you will. And here, I believe, we have the real true definition of what true humility is. Let me offer this definition to you. Here it is. True humility is an attitude of the heart 
that acknowledges that God knows best and that willingly submits to his will, his way, and his timing. This is what we see Jesus doing here. Um, you see, pride is this illusion that we are competent enough to run our own life apart from God. That's what pride is. Like, we, we know where we can find real happiness. We know where we can find meaning in life and purpose in life. We don't need God. We are competent to run our own life. Thank you very much. That's what pride is. The, the way we often talk about it here in Abundant Life is we say that pride is the illusion that we can find our satisfaction, significance, and security apart, apart from God. That's how we talk about it often here. Jesus, on the other hand, he never operated independent of the Father. I, I want to read some verses uh, to you from the Gospel of John. It, it talks about how Jesus was always all about doing the will of his Father. Look at John 5, 19. It says this, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. How about John 6, 38? For I have come down from heaven, Jesus says, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. How about John 7, 16? Jesus said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. And look at John 8, 50. Jesus says, I do not seek my own glory. There is one um, who seeks and judges. He's talking about the Father. Jesus was ultra dependent on the Father. He never operated on his own timetable. He never tried to make things happen more quickly than what he and the Father agreed upon. And so I ask you this morning, what about you? It is the true humility that Jesus exemplified uh, in your heart. Or do you find yourself often like doing life apart from God, separate from Him? Um, do you find yourself not praying about your, your financial life? Like when's the last time you sat down and you talked to God about how He wanted you to spend the money that He's entrusted to you over the next year? What about your marriage? When's the last time you sat down and and you just really prayed about your marriage and sought what God wanted um, in your marriage. Especially if you thought about, you know, the, the year that this new year we're in. When's the last time you've done that? What, what about raising your kids? When's the last time you said, like, Lord, these are really your children that you have given me to love and to care for on your behalf. How do you want me to parent? How do you want me to go about loving them? You see, we often, we say that we believe that, that God is all loving and all wise and all powerful, but functionally, we don't live as if we depend on Him. We often just live independently from Him. True humility 
submits and seeks his will in every component and facet of our life. So that's what true humility is. It's, it's that attitude of the heart that understands who God is and knows that he knows best and it willingly submits to his will, his way, and his time. So secondly, uh, where can we get, how, or should I, I should say, how can we get this true humility? Well, the way that we can get this humility is by the gospel. The gospel is where we can find true humility. There, there are a lot of ways to talk about and explain the gospel message that Jesus preached and the rest of the New Testament uh, preaches as well. Um, there's a lot of ways to explain it. The one way in particular, though, that I think is very helpful, because I think it's at the very center of the gospel, and, it's, and this is, in a nutshell, what it is, is Tim Keller, he, he explains it this way. The gospel is the good news that although we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, we are yet more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believed, yet more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. First, let, let me just talk about that, that, that first part of that gospel summary. We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us are like sheep. We've all gone astray. We, we've turned to our own way. If you're to look at Romans 1, it really details in more depth how we have gone astray. Uh, for one, even though we can tell from creation that God exists, and we can easily deduce that if God exists, then we owe our existence to Him and should seek what He wants and live a life that honors and glorifies Him, even though that that's plain to see when we look at this world, we have suppressed that truth, and what we have done is we have decided to worship other things in God's place. Um, many people decide to worship their career, right? And so they find their significance and worth and being whatever they are in their job. Many people, they uh, worship wealth and money, right? So it's all about making more and more money. The more money they have, the more worthy and justified uh, they believe they are. Um, there are people that uh, worship family, right? Like. Children are, can definitely be a God that we worship. We, we take a good thing and we make it an ultimate God thing, and that's where it, where it goes wrong. And so uh, we worship created things in the Creator's place. That's what Romans 1 tells us. We, we have failed to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, Romans 1 also tells us that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves, right? 
all of us, we've lied, we have cheated, we have taken advantage of other people, we've manipulated people, right? We've all gossiped, right? We've all uh, participated in the evil that our world is full of. Often we're full of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and envy, right? Um, we despise people that have things that we want but don't have and we just despise them for, for having it. The, the list, I mean, could go on. I, I was talking to a friend not too long ago, and he said, I thought I was a pretty good, uh, decent, selfless person until I got married. And then once that happened, all of his selfishness really came to the surface. Marriage has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Same thing with raising kids, right? Like you can think you're a pretty decent, selfless person until you have kids and you are required to do so much for them that you don't want to do, right? And your selfishness can really uh, come to the surface. Maybe some of you are struggling with that right now as you are spending, some of you are probably spending more time around your kids than what, what you normally do. So the gospel calls us out right? It says like, look, you are a hot mess. Apart from God, you are a hot mess. You are severely broken. And what's more, the gospel tells us like, we can't put ourselves back together again. And that is why many people think that the gospel, they find it offensive, right? Because we don't like to be called out. We don't like to be held accountable. But the gospel does that. It doesn't sugarcoat and lie to us, right? And the cold hard truth is always better than sweet deceit, right? It just is. This is what the gospel does. Thankfully, this isn't the whole of the gospel. Uh, because if this was the whole of the gospel, the gospel wouldn't be good news. It would be horrible news. But that's why we need the next part. We, the gospel tells us, are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. And so, in the person of Jesus, God, he lives the, the perfect life we couldn't. He dies the death we should have died so that he could forgive us. So that he could credit Christ's perfect performance record to our account so that he can adopt us into his royal family, so that he can make us a new creation, fill us with his Holy Spirit, so that our broken hearts could be mended and put back together so that they would function as they were always meant to function. What's more is Jesus, out of such great love for us, he gives us an amazing future for those that are his. Uh, we, have, we look forward to uh, a resurrected body in the resurrected world with the resurrected Christ. Free from sin and death and the coronavirus. That's what we're looking forward to. And this salvation comes to us as a sheer gift of grace that we simply receive through repentance and faith. We acknowledge that we're a hot mess. That's the repentance part. And, and we turn from that hot mess of a lifestyle apart from God and we, we go to, to Jesus and say, save me, save me, make me new. I am yours. And what's wonderful about that is it becomes ours. 
Like, God is so delighted when we make that decision. And so I ask you this morning, have you received the gift of God's amazing grace through repentance and faith? Or have you rejected it? Are you able to sing from your heart, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me? I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. Are you able to say that from your heart? And if you have received the gift of salvation, this gift of grace through repentance and faith, it's amazing what the scriptures tell you you are. You are God's masterpiece, right? Uh, created uh, to do good works that God had always, has always prepared, you know, has planned for you to engage in. You are the light of the world. You're his dearly beloved son or daughter in whom he is well pleased. Nothing can separate you from his love. Uh, if he met your greatest need of rescue from sin and death, surely he will supply all of your lesser needs, even as you walk through the coronavirus crisis. There, there, you are so important. You are so valuable. You are so loved and accepted in Christ more than you ever dared hope. And what, so how can we get true humility? We get it through the gospel. Because check this out. Uh, the gospel keeps us from becoming super inflated and it keeps us from becoming deflated, right? Uh, it keeps us from getting a big head and it keeps us from like feeling like having an inferior, inferiority complex because look, the gospel tells us uh, we are we are broken and so how are we going to get a big head and the only reason that we are being put back together again is because of God's grace it's nothing we've earned or done. And yet, but at the same time, on the other hand, the gospel says we are so valuable in God's eyes and we, and we are so loved by him that he would send his son to rescue us. And so what then does true humility lead to? If we understand who we are in Christ and we understand who God is so that we willingly submit our life to him, what does true humility lead to? Well, let me uh, just go back. Let me go to Mark 15 real quick. And I just want to point some things out to you. Here's what it leads to. It leads to, true humility leads to blessed self-forgetfulness. Let me uh, talk just a little bit about that. So Mark 15, right? We have Jesus. He's standing on trial before the Roman governor, Pilate. He's standing before him, and, and Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus simply answers and says to him, It is as you say. Is Jesus um, saying, Oh no, I'm not that, and trying to, to do this, like, you know, get Pilate to believe like he's just this, you know, humble, you know, uh, and trying to raise uh, Pilate's opinion of him? No. Um, is Jesus going on and on and on and on and on about his identity? And because he could say a lot 
no, he's not doing that either. I mean, if that was us and we were on trial and Pilate was asking us and if we were Jesus, guaranteed all of us would be saying, look, we were perfect, we've never sinned, we're the creator of the universe, we would have gone on and on. Jesus, because he is so secure in the Father's love, like he's not trying to like convince Pilate of having this, you know, to have this high opinion of him. He's just simply stating the truth. That's what true humility does. Um, and then if you go on, you know, Pilate then, uh, you, know, the, uh, you have these chief priests and they come and they say all these false accusations against uh, Jesus and Pilate says to Jesus, like, uh, do you have anything to say basically? Like, do you answer anything? And Jesus is silent. If that was you or me, we would have uh, given every reason as to why those false accusations were false. But Jesus, he's silent. Why? He is so secure in the Father's love. He's so secure in his identity that he's not worried about people's opinion of him. He is so focused on carrying out the mission that the Father has given him. He's so focused on saving us that there's this blessed self-forgetfulness. He's not concerned about himself. And you see, when we are so secure in the Father's love, when we are satisfied with Him, when we know we're significant in Him, when we feel secure in Him, and those desires are fulfilled by God, guess what? We are now free to not incessantly work to try and manufacture fulfillment of those desires with our own power. We're free from all that. And what we can do is then we are able to take our focus off ourselves and we're able to just forget about ourselves and we're able to really truly serve other people because remember what is the definition of true service from last week it is setting aside your rights and privileges to leverage the power you have to seek the welfare of another person look if we're not completely satisfied in the lord if we're not content in him all of our service is going to be really motivated by serving ourselves. We will only seek the welfare of another person so long as it benefits our own welfare. Right? We're really serving ourselves. The only way that we're really able to engage in true, hu true service is if true humility is the attitude of our heart. And so there you have it. Jesus, he is a humble king. He shows us what true humility is. Um, the, his message of the gospel shows us where we can get it. And Jesus also shows us what true humility leads to. This blessed self-forgetfulness.